in thinking about the character of Joseph, um, it, 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 it's almost a, it's almost a made-for-television story. With the way things happen, you know, uh, it, you know, he's sold into slavery. Uh, a, a caption might be, "If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all." You know, kind of thing. You know, it just seems like one thing after another happens to Joseph along the way, and you think, "When is he going to cut a break? Get a break?" And then things pick up in the journey with. Uh, uh, being put in Potiphar's house and God is with him and God blesses him and God blesses consequently the house of Potiphar. And then this temptation business is thrown at him. It's a trial that he faces, <clears throat> handles that particular issue, but it doesn't result in him being uh, exonerated in any way. He's just thrown into prison and that's where we find him. And while he's there, then you have the story of the cupbearer and the baker. It was last week, chapter 40. And we were talking about there may come times when God may seem slow. You remember the, the appeal that Joseph makes. When, when you're restored to the cupbearer, when you're restored, remember me. And in, in essence, plead my cause before Pharaoh because I've been unjustly imprisoned. Uh, as it is. <clears throat> and uh, the end of chapter 40 is where we find Joseph uh, when it says the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And there were those times when it seemed like um, God was a bit late in bringing things about. Chapter 41 is where we're going to go. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. That's a long one. But I'm going to read the first uh, 16, 16 verses, I think, is what we'll settle in. And I'll just summarize some of the other pieces along the way. So Genesis 41. <clears throat> when two full years had passed... I think if I was writing it, I would probably say when two long years had passed. It might be a better adjective there. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. And after them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then, then Pharaoh woke up. <clears throat> he fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his, his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me 
and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. <clears throat> so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. <clears throat> and much of the rest of the story is just a rehearsal again of the dream and then the interpretation uh, that God gives to Joseph about the dream. So along the way, we all have some challenges or difficulties that we encounter. Our, we can call them problems, I guess. And uh, they are intended to teach us how to handle issues in life, build character in process. Sometimes when you are overwhelmed by the amount of problems, you might think, well, God sure wants to do a lot of character building in me. And, uh, and I guess that's possible. But when it boils down to it, the, the problems that we encounter uh, can, can be big. They can be life-altering, life-changing. And in the face of those problems, we may, we may begin to wonder, God, uh, where are you, or are you big enough for this problem that you or I face? <clears throat> um, as we return to Joseph, uh, he, he learned uh, through the crucible of that experience that God is big enough for any problems. There are some things that we pick up from the story that, that go on. So uh, I don't know. I, I suppose if you're going to live life, you're going to have to address problems. How, how big they are is irrelevant in one sense, but Sometimes the bigger they are, the more intimidating they become and cause us to diminish a bit in terms of our confidence that God is big enough for them. Because sometimes what goes on about us doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, we can talk about how in our, our world, when you catch the news clips, that, that uh, uh, people do crazy things, dumb things. And um, it, it just boggles your mind, you know, how they would destroy stuff uh, that has legitimate meaning and simply because they don't choose to get all the information and become a student of history, and they, uh, they, 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 they just do, do dumb things along the way. There are mysteries in life, things that we don't understand, uh, how one person gets cancer and dies, and another one is spared cancer. Another person gets the same cancer, goes through 
chemo, chemotherapy and then survives. Why is one different than the other? I, I, we don't know. Why does one child live and another child die? Why is one family seemingly hit with endless series of hard spots or trials? Why, why did that husband choose to walk away from the marriage? Why did the car wreck leave a man crippled, but the man next to him walks away unscratched? Why is one person promoted and you get passed over? Why do some people get married, but other people don't seem to ever find the right person? I don't know. They're kind of mysteries why, why those things happen. But in the midst of all of those things, we have to have this sense of confidence in God that he's big enough and he knows our situation. He's big enough to address the problem. But sometimes there are some hard spots that we need to encounter along the way. And there are lessons from this particular chapter and particular story in Joseph's life that I want us to capture or be captured by as we think about it this morning. And the first one, I think, is the one that um, we, we need to really get drilled down in our, in our life. And that's, and that's this. First, God is always at work to get our attention. He is always at work to get our attention. His heart is to disclose himself to us. And sometimes he allows things to come into the journey along the way to just get our attention. There was a man who was having trouble with his mule. He would not cooperate. The mule just seemed to be stubborn, as a mule is, at least stereotypically. And he, he went to the vet and, uh, and asked, you know, what, what you can do. And the, guy, and the vet said, well, here's what I would suggest. Get a two-by-four. Stand in front of your mule and whack him in the head. And uh, that's, that certainly is not SPCA compliant <laughs> uh, along the way. But, uh, but he does that, and, uh, and, and the mule perks up, and he says, Now that I have your attention, let me tell you what I want you to do. Now, obviously, that's more of a spoofy story than anything else. But sometimes... I wonder if what, what it takes to get our attention. What does it take to get our attention? Joseph certainly had a series of events that put him in a tough spot, and maybe he wondered if God was late, but also I think he wondered, is God, are you big enough to handle this particular problem? So he, he, God is always at work to get our attention. Now, he got the attention of Pharaoh through dreams. And, and that's the story of chapter 41. <clears throat> and and I, I don't know, if, if you had not known the interpretation and you heard the story about these, these, these cattle and these heads of grain, uh, stalks of grain, would you be able to get to the same conclusion that Joseph did, apart from the fact that God is the one that enabled him to have the interpretation? I don't know if I would go the same way. I you know, it could be good times coming, bad times coming. One's greater than the other. You might be able to figure all of that out. 
But though Pharaoh was the mightiest man on earth, he was helpless to understand his own dream. Money, power, worldly success can gain a lot of things, but it doesn't help at all when it comes to the realms of the spirit and God being able to speak to him. He consults his magicians, but they couldn't figure it out either. A thousand years of pagan religion could not produce what the king wanted in the story, in the, in the experience. So a crisis exposes the futility of the world in things that matter most. What is God saying to me? What, is, what does this mean? It reveals the true condition of the human heart apart from God. Without divine revelation, human wisdom and power will never discover the way of salvation. That is something that has to come down from God. And I think that in the 41st chapter, that was that's, that's Joseph's line. He's asked by Pharaoh, I understand you're able to do this. This is not the way you present yourself to king. I can't do it. <laughs> that's what he says. He says, I understand you're able to do that. No, I can't do it. If the conversation had ended there, Joseph's probably just make his exit back. Now he's going to clean up a little bit more, but make his exit back into prison. But he knows that God is the one who can disclose and can reveal what needs to happen. <clears throat> now, use dreams to capture Joseph's attention. What does God use to capture your attention? What does it take to get your attention? Sometimes we will experience hardships. And sometimes those things cause us to, to be uh, pay attention a bit more than 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 now than the, than the previous time. God is always looking for ways to capture our attention. What does it take for a church to have its attention captured? Maybe it has to bring you to the end of yourself as a church body, and you say, God, unless you do something here, there's no hope. But is God big enough for City Light Alliance Church? And the correct answer is yes, that's true. But we got to get that sealed down in our heart with a confidence in God's ability to do what we cannot. Uh, in, the, in the journey for City Light Church, it is only going to be a God thing that brings about change that needs to happen for the preferred future that God has for this group of people. Now, we've been we've been coming along up here for well over a year now, and uh, there are times when you would think, "Okay, uh, God, let's see, we're going to do this. We're going to just go through all the all the procedures we need to do, and we've done the the personnel, the profile of things, the church profile, and." what you would like to see in a prospective pastor. You go through all of that stuff and you say, okay, good. Now we're ready to go. And then it just seems like things wait or languish a bit longer than we prefer. And those are things over which you and I do not have any control. It's all a God thing in terms of the process. But in the midst of that waiting, when it languishes, um, Never lose sight of the fact that we serve a God who is adequate and big enough 
to handle the problems. He's looking to get your attention. And maybe this languishing period is just trying to capture your attention. It may be a sifting period. We're just going to, you remember the story of Gideon, you know, in the process where he had all the, the soldiers and then he's, God says, you got too many. He says, I have to whittle them down. It gets down to a core group of people who really become the, the, the team that God uses to accomplish a great victory in the history of the people of Israel. But it took them a whittling process. And maybe God's whittling. And some of you would say, I hope he doesn't whittle more. more. You know, you, you, you know, how much more whittling does before I don't have anything? You start with a telephone pole, now I have a toothpick. What, you know, how is it going to work? You know, and all I can say is that we have to remember that in the midst of the hard spots, God is big enough. And that's the lesson from the life of Joseph. A couple of things related to that. First, we talked about him always wanting to get our attention. The second thing is that God uses a network to accomplish his plan. Uh, we read in verses 12 and 13 in, the, in that 41st chapter. Um, <clears throat> A young Hebrew, uh, this is the baker speaking, he says, I'm aware of my shortcomings back in verse 9. But uh, verse uh, uh, 12 says, <clears throat> a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams. He interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dreams. Uh, in the process, God uses uh, other people to become part of the solution for Pharaoh. He uses a cupbearer, the guy whose responsibility it was to be the official taster. He would get the first cupcake to make sure that all the rest of the cupcakes were okay. All right, we got a cupbearer volunteer over here. Okay, all right. All right. One one cupcake first at a time. Not just one. Okay. So that the cupbearer responsibility was a weighty responsibility and nothing got by him because of the potential hazard to the king. So in, in the orchestration of things for Joseph's life, he used this network of cupbearer to help accomplish the plan that God had for him. There are no, uh, one, I put it this way, there are no coincidences in our life. Um, we sometimes say, what a coincidence, what a coincidence. What are, the, what are the statistical odds of something to happen? You know? And you say, they're, they're huge, they're astronomical, how could that be? There are only, I prefer to use the phrase, there are only God incidences. If we believe that life is more than just random chance of me happen to bump into somebody else, if we believe that God knows the beginning from the end and he is the one who is sovereign, in whom we can put our trust and confidence, then we don't believe in coincidences. We believe in God incidences. We believe in those things that he chooses to orchestrate in the scheme of things to accomplish his purposes and his plan. If, if that cupbearer had remembered Joseph earlier, Joseph might have been set free earlier and perhaps he wouldn't have been anywhere near the palace at that point in time when the king had his dreams. As far as Joseph was concerned, he was just being faithful to God when he interpreted those dreams two years before. We, we, we rehearsed that story where um, 
Joseph purposed in his heart to be faithful before God wherever it was. The geography made no difference. And that calls us to be that same kind of character building in terms of faithfulness to God. Will I choose to be faithful to him in the place where he has put us? God has orchestrated this group of people to be in community together. If, if, this, was, if this was only, only, if this was a house church, a smaller group of people just connected together like this with no one else, the presence of Christ would still be able to minister to the needs of one another. You, you know, you can have you can have the big big groups, and, and it, it's amazing how in this COVID atmosphere we've got so much guideline or regulation or edicts that are being sent out or indicated. You can't have a group of more than 25 people. You can't have you have to have this and that going on. I'm wondering if perhaps. It is just a, a thing that God is allowing to kind of help people realize that it's, it's not in the hugeness of the group. It's in the commitment of the group and the relationship in that group together where they are there for one another, where they've got each other's back, and they're willing to commit to each other to be part of that community of faith. In this whole process, God used the network of his of Joseph's connectedness with the cupbearer to to keep him on track to accomplish his purpose. There's another thing that comes from the story of Joseph, and that's uh, the main body of the 14th uh, the 41st chapter in verses 14 to 36 when it's the rehearsing of the story, <clears throat> and that is that God uses a servant to bring truth to a seeker. Pharaoh is not. Christ follower, not a follower of Israel. Not, not, he's, he's relied upon his magicians and, and, uh, and all kinds of people, the wise men, to help provide his direction. And because he is Pharaoh, he is one who is worshipped anyway. So he's a world unto himself. And yet all of that amounts to nothing in terms of not being able to understand or interpret dream. So God orchestrates by bringing Joseph up out of that prison house and now into a place of opportunity to speak into Pharaoh's life. He uses a servant to bring truth to the seeker. And that's what God does. He uses us as Christ followers to bring truth to people that we encounter or we will be led to by God to be able to speak truth and bring light to the situation. Why does God have you where he has you? Uh, at, at, uh, apart from retired people, you know, that's another, that's another issue. You know, why did he have you in the journey at, um, at Fannie Mae? Why did he have you at, at, at King's College or Wilkes University? Why does he have you at the airport? Why does he have you in the school system? You can pick your place, you know, kind of thing. Why does he have you there? One of the one of the things I believe is to allow you to see him at work, so that you can become a servant who speaks truth to someone who is seeking it. We've got to remember in this whole process that that we're, we're not about trying to help a church survive. We're about the opportunity to help 
dead men live. Those who are outside of Christ come to Christ. We can never forget that. Regardless of the success or failure of a particular church, we are still dealing with the lostness of people. And I know that we can talk about the nature of man and how that can work. You can talk about South Africa and disparity between rich and poor and the greed or sinful nature of man that feeds into that. But it, but there are still people who are on the outside looking in and they need to find the reality of Christ to, to come to them. So God reveals to Joseph the interpretation of the dream. He brings the servant to the seeker and gives him the interpretation of the dream. Now, I don't know what you encounter when you run into problems, uh, where you go to, but the, the question that that is begged there is when you're facing problems, who do you turn to for answers? Do you, do you seek outside counsel? It may not be bad stuff, but are you, are you pressing into the truth of God's word, the principles of his word, and seeking the whispers of the spirit of God to you to give you the direction you need to help make those decisions that are that you're facing and you deal with? God gives to Joseph this interpretation of the dream that's covered in verses 14 down through 32. And, and then you can read that, that story at your leisure today or whenever you wish. But uh, he, he lets him know what it means. And he not only gives the interpretation of the dream in uh, chapter 41, but he also gives uh, a plan for Joseph and, and, uh, as I was reading the story again earlier this morning, uh, but if if you jump down to around verse 33, after he's given all the interpretation of what it means and that the seven years of great abundance are coming and then seven years of famine are going to follow and you need to make a plan. Verse 33, here's Joseph's counsel to the Pharaoh. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. So that's the plan. That's the plan that God gives. He not only gives interpretation to the dream, but gives him a plan to follow. It's his counsel to Pharaoh. The issue is what's Pharaoh going to do with it? What will he do? Will he, choose, will he choose to come up with his own plan, or will he follow the guideline and counsel of Joseph in the process? God uses the servant to get the truth to the seeker. The seeker is Pharaoh at this point. So the question we ask on that is, when you're facing a problem, whose counsel do you seek? Whose counsel do you seek? Are you looking for the plan that God has for us? I, I know that Jeremiah says, the promise of the word, I, I know the plans I have for you, not to destroy, not to kill, but to prosper you, to bless you. And we, we like that part. We like, but, but sometimes we're not 
keen on the trials we have to deal with before we get to that place of the blessing of God as he discloses himself and his plan to us. In this wonderful story of chapter 41, God uses the servant to bring truth to a seeker. One final piece is that God brings about a greater good in the process. The last half, probably the last 20 verses or so of this chapter, are, a story, are the story of how God uh, helps Pharaoh make a, a very good choice. And, and, and in verse 37 it says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, uh, Who will be willing to submit a resume for this job position that Joseph just outlined for us? Now, that's not what he asked. Uh, he simply says this, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Now, here's the stop back up for a minute. At the beginning of chapter 40, 41, Joseph is in prison. He's essentially a forgotten nobody. And then God orchestrates this experience so that he is able to come forth. God uses the network of the cupbearer to help uh, get, get Joseph to the point where he can be the servant who speaks, who speaks truth to the seeker. And then God blesses that moment in such a way that he even is exalted to a spot that is beyond his wildest dream. He uses the servant, when you jump down to the, toward, almost to the end of the chapter, uh, verse 56 says, When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. God used his servant, to bless other people, gave him wisdom to, to see the plan, but then, but then helped him to execute that plan and provided a blessing to the people of Israel, the people of, of, of Egypt. Uh, you know, uh, when things are going good, we don't, we don't worry about a whole lot. But when things are going bad, then we start getting concerned. The people of, of Egypt had that experience. Things were going good for seven seven years, but then this tail end of things that is worse than the first seven years uh, occurs, and you you better have a plan to be able to address the needs and results in a blessing to those people. They got everything that they needed, and God uses this circumstance in terms of the blessing to even orchestrate some more stuff. We're going to get to next week in terms of dealing with your past. Um, he uses the servant to bless these people, and he uses the servant to bless Joseph as well. Verse 57 says, All the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. God uses that experience in order to orchestrate some, some travel plans for Joseph's family to make their way down to Egypt and then you have the wonderful story in verses chapter 42 and 43 that we'll get to next week on how to deal with your past. 
uh, I don't want to get too far ahead, but you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes we say we have these crazy sayings that said, "God, uh, time heals all wounds." Uh, time does not heal any wounds. It just kind of buries them a while until you're ready to deal with them, and Joseph is going to have that opportunity. At the beginning of chapter 41, uh, Joseph is languishing in prison. At the end, he ends up being essentially prime minister of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. I, I begin to wonder, you know, beginning of chapter 41, if you ask Joseph, what's, what's in mind? What's, what's going to happen? He says, I'm, you're asking me? I don't know. I'm down here in the prison. But at the end of chapter 41, he is exalted to that new position. And you begin to wonder how much of that did Joseph see in advance? And I think the answer is nada, if I was speaking Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. Uh, rien. I'll speak French. Rien. Nothing. Nothing. Zero. Zip. Zilch. Who did that? God did. It wasn't Joseph. It wasn't the cupbearer. God used him. But it was God that did it. So here's the question. Is God big enough? Is God big enough for City Light Church? Is God big enough for your family and your need? Is he big enough for your problems? Big enough for your future, whatever that may be? Is he big enough for your pain that you deal with or struggle with? Is he big enough for your fears that you encounter? Is he big enough for whatever you're facing? I don't know what all those things are for you, but if you find or are finding that your God is not big enough for those things, then maybe you'd be well served to trade him in for the God of the Bible who declares uh, he is big enough for any of the situations or struggles or problems that we face. I suppose it's a, uh, I, it might be a country gospel kind of song, but uh, it, it talks about, my God is bigger than all my problems, bigger than all the things that he faces. Uh, he, he is big enough for us personally, in your needs, personally for the life of City Light Church. He's able. He's sufficient. And it's not because the preacher says so. It's not because you come up with this crazy idea. It's because the record of the scripture portrays for us that he is one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. Stop and think back. Old Testament stories come up and against, coming up against a wall of water at the Red Sea. Is God big enough? God makes a way. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. God will make a way for me. And you can put that in songs and you can, you know, but that's truth. He is big enough for us in our situations. So I don't know what all the challenges are that you're facing, but I would remind you that he is big enough for them. I want you to...
we'll make for prayer, and then, then we're going to observe communion together as well. And uh, ask the Lord to meet us in that event as well. Well, Father, we, we encounter another event in the life of Joseph, another experience. And, and it's amazing the turn uh, that, that is made in this 41st chapter. He's taken from a prison and put in a prominent place. And uh, you did it. You gave him the interpretation of a dream. You gave him a plan. You gave him an opportunity to, to be a servant who spoke truth to one who was seeking. You used him to bless other people. We want to be available like the Josephs of the world who are simply saying, here am I, Lord, send me, use me. May, may it be our purpose, our desire to do that. And whisper anew and afresh to our hearts that you're sufficient. You're big enough for the things that we're facing on a day-to-day basis. Whatever the fears, whatever the apprehensions, Whatever the problems, whatever the struggles, whatever the challenges are, you are sufficient. So we bless your name and thank you for your sufficiency. In the name of Jesus, even the Christ, we pray. Amen.